Hello and welcome back to Horror from the High Desert. I am your host, Scotty Milder, and this week I'm here with N.J. Gallegos. So, N.J. Gallegos writes dark thrillers, odd fiction, and horror with a strong emphasis on medical horror. When not writing, she's hard at work as an emergency medicine physician. She lives with her wife and their two cats, Theodore and Cat Bane. Her debut novel, The Broken Heart, following a disgruntled housewife who receives a heart transplant from a serial killer, will be out September 19th, 2023. She has a chat book out with Alien Buddha Press, Only You Can Prevent Forest Fires, and a novella, Just Desserts, with Black Hair Press. In addition, she has short stories in Gore 2, a Halloween anthology, Hellbound Books anthology of Splatterpunk, Creepy Drabbles and Drabble Dark 2, Medusa Tales, and Sirens Call publications, as well as stories in Alien Buddha Press compilations, The Alien Buddha Skips the Party Part 2, and The Alien Buddha's House of Horrors Number 5. So I was really excited to talk to NJ. I read her novel, The Broken Heart. It's really fantastic. It's one of my favorite things I've read this year, and we definitely do spend quite a bit of time talking about it but before we get started i do kind of want to address something i'm sure most of you guys are aware of this controversy that has kind of sprung up in the horror community over the last several days i'm not going to name any of the people involved because i think it's likely you probably know who i'm talking about and uh, i don't know any of these people i'm not trying to insert myself into the controversy but basically in a nutshell a couple book reviewers posted a long youtube video this is probably about a week maybe a little less than a week ago basically kind of as a takedown of extreme horror now they did also post on another uh site or on another youtube channel a second video which was more of an appreciation of extreme horror so i think the the intention was to kind of show both sides but this is of course the stirred up a lot of uh a lot of a lot of big feels um, in the extreme horror community and in particular one author who was named in their video uh, things between the reviewers and this author have gotten very nasty in the last week and there's accusations of threats there's accusations of harassment um, I'm sure you've all heard about the supposed book dedication again I'm not trying to wade into the controversy the only reason I'm bringing it up is that I recorded this interview with NJ so several days ago, um, and I think it was maybe a day after uh, the video was posted. Um, and I mentioned it in, in our interview. I kind of bring it up. I had not you know, I knew that there was a bit of a controversy starting, but things were really this was early on in the <laughs> in the process. Um, and clearly NJ hadn't heard about it at all. I was really only bringing it up because I wanted to kind of talk about the substance of what these of what the video addressed, which was you know kind of limits or should there be limits in extreme horror? I didn't agree with everything that they said in their video. I didn't necessarily think that they were able to kind of come to a, like a consistent point with what they were saying. I have not watched the second video. I do want to watch the second video uh, just to see the balance of uh, what their conversation was. But all that said, I did think they made some valid points. And I think it's a valid discussion to have. As I've said, I'm not, I don't really consider myself an extreme horror writer, but I do dabble in it. I do have an interest in it. And I've been thinking about like, where are my lines? You know, where, where are the lines that I don't want to cross as a writer? So that's the reason I brought it up in this interview with NJ. I kind of regret bringing it up now only because what happened is since NJ hadn't heard about the controversy, 
I kind of ended up putting her on the spot. It, it kind of put her in a position of having to comment on something she really didn't know anything about. And since this has become really kind of one of those situations where everyone's kind of picking sides and, you know, having their kind of hot take, I didn't, I, I just wanted to address this because I didn't want to put NJ in a situation where people are thinking she was taking any sort of side. You know, she was just reacting to what I was telling her. She wasn't reacting to the actual situation. So, like I said, I'm unclear on how I feel about this whole situation. I'm definitely, I'm definitely wanting to stay out of it. <laughs> um, I do find the actual discussion about extreme horror interesting and valid. You know, it, obviously, it's something that has come up already on the podcast. I talked to Bridget Nelson about this with her story, Jinx. And congratulations, Bridget, by the way, for winning the Splatterpunk Award this year. And I think it's a conversation that we're going to like keep having. Having, but I would like on this podcast to keep the conversation constructive, not hostile. I'm not coming in here as someone who's trying to stir the pot. I'm a fan, I'm a writer, and I want to talk to writers whose work I respect and appreciate and have fun, kind of loose, interesting conversations. I'm not looking to put anyone on the spot or put anyone in an uncomfortable situation. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to kind of clear that up before we get going, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview, and uh, so here we go with NJ Gallegos. I think we need to start off talking about Alamosa. <laughs> the, the most <laughs> exciting place in Colorado. <laughs> right. So uh, basically, I went to college in your hometown. Um, so just tell us a little bit about about Alamosa and what it's like. It's a quaint little place. Um, it's definitely not the Colorado you're expecting with <laughs> like towering pine trees and stuff. Um, right. It's definitely, I mean, obviously high desert, I think would be a good way to describe it. Right. But um, lots of running there. Um, great uh, cinnamon rolls and green chili <laughs> from the campus cafe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Campus cafe was, uh, that was the main hangout for like post, post-party, post-drinking, kind of hangover hangout oh. was a campus cafe. <laughs> I miss that, honestly. It's like the perfect hangover food. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I think we would be we would be remiss if we didn't talk about all the aliens, too, there. Well, that yeah, so that's, that's the main thing I wanted to get to. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, and you're younger than me, I think. So I was there in the mid 90s uh, or mid to late 90s i'm yeah. not sure how old you would have been but i you know i'm from los alamos new mexico which is not too far from alamosa it's about two and a half hours something like that mm-hmm. but you know los alamos is weird in its own way with the labs and everything so i kind of already grew up in like weird conspiracy minded <laughs> <laughs> um and then uh when i was getting ready to go to college you know all my friends were you know they're looking at going to mit and and the one person went to yale and i mean this is like los alamos kids everyone's parents are phd students you know or you know phd (laughs) physicists um and i was like no i'm gonna go the other way where can I go that has a lot of aliens? Um, so that was almost for me. And that was one of the reasons I picked that. Like, yep. <laughs> hey, it's a good that's a good enough choice for any. As I was looking into the schools, I saw that's where all the cow mutilations happened. So I was like, okay, well, sold. Yeah, how long ago was it the slappy thing happened? That was that horse, the first horse that they had discovered. Yeah, I have to uh, look it up, snip- to be honest with you. 
Snippy the horse. Snip Slappy? I think it was. Yeah, Snippy something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of the Goosebump puppet. Yeah. I think that was in the 60s. Um, That's the first. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. So, Alamosa, it's, it's known. I guess we should clarify. It's known for UFO sightings. It's in the southern Colorado in the San Luis Valley. And it's particularly known for cow mutilations. Like, most of the cattle mutilation stories, I think people know are based in the assembly did you know like how much did you know like how much were you aware of that growing up there was that like part of the lore oh yeah um so my grandparents live kind of near la Jara, okay uh, and they had a cattle ranch mm. so yeah so there was like a lot of stuff that i had heard about it and i don't know if you've ever read that book the mysterious valley mm-hmm. but i i think i read that you know at like age 10 or something so yeah I was yeah. pretty familiar, <laughs> but I actually uh, saw cow mutilation growing up, and it was oh, really? it was wild. Yeah, so like I mentioned, we have we lived on a cattle ranch, and mm. my grandfather, you know, he, every morning and whatnot, he would go and check the cows, and one was missing, mm. and we ended up finding it, and it was it was eerie because like so it's you know it's dead. There's no flies or anything like wow. near it. The dogs wouldn't go near it. Oh, and wow. like, yeah, it was creepy. And and like, I believe, I can't remember. I think the eyes were gone. No. Oh. The tongue Jeez. and everything was gone. Udders and then like the butt area. And wow. it looked completely, you know, like we see like surgical, I see surgical stuff and like cauterized tissue and it looked not like that, but there was no blood. Mm-hmm. It, it was creepy. Yeah, that's, um, that's crazy. When was when would that have been? I probably would have been like right around nine. So that would have been like ninety five. Okay. Yeah. So yes, not long before I I got there in ninety six. So um, yeah, and I knew that like uh, you know and like just to describe Alamosa a little bit, it's like you said, it's not the Colorado people picture. It's not like up in the mountains. It's in a valley. You see the mountains <laughs> in the distance, but it's actually. Yeah like very flat it's very you know it's far it's farm country it's 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 like uh i mean how big is Alamosa? is what maybe eight thousand people so i I think the college contributes quite a bit to the population but Mm -hmm. i think the last time maybe 20 plus thousand now okay so a little bigger than and it might have grown i i know it's grown like i've driven through there in in the years since i know it's grown since when i was going to college there but it's you know it's very it's like very rural uh like you said quaint kind of um farming community (laughs) yeah um that just happens to like have like just overrun by aliens (laughs) yeah pretty much i think there was a while there that it was basically the highest number of reported ufo sightings in the country weren't in Alamosa. Did you ever see, so you saw a cow mutilation. Did you ever see like a UFO or anything? I've, I've personally never seen it. Um, My uncle, he's a truck driver, like mm-hmm. 18 wheeler. And he was actually coming back from New Mexico by, um, I think you go by like Raton Mountain, mm-hmm. coming back into the San Luis Valley. Mm-hmm. And he said that he saw some like weird, you know, beacon kind of thing. And his like truck started kind of dimming out, losing power, and then like the cars next around him did too. That's crazy. Because that... so I mean, there's 
something going on. <laughs> well, the exact same thing happened to me. Almost, almost exactly what you were just describing. That's crazy. Because really? yeah, this was this would have been I was a fresh either a freshman or sophomore, so it would have been like ninety seven, ninety eight, probably. Um, and I was driving up to Gun Barrel, which uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's between Alamos and Salida is a super straight stretch of highway. They call the Gun Barrel, where you can see headlights from like twenty miles off. And I was driving up to Salida, my, or actually Buena Vista. My friend was uh, from Buena Vista, so I was going up to her grandparents' house for like the weekend. And I think it was like one in the morning or something, and I'm driving up there. And I had seen up in the sky, sort of towards the sand dunes, mm-hmm. just like a really bright light in the sky that I thought was, uh, like I did, I, it was bright enough that I noticed it, but I, you know, it basically looked like a star or something. Mm-hmm. didn't pay that much attention and as i went through i think uh, what's the town there's a couple towns there's a it was either moffat or hooper little tiny little towns up, yeah. up the gun barrel <laughs> i was maybe in a mile or so outside you know past moffat and this car had been coming the other direction and i'd seen its headlights for the last you know 15 minutes or something because it's you know it's on the gun barrel and it finally passed me and almost as soon as it passed me the light in the sky kind of popped like a it looked like like when uh what the old um filament light bulbs when they would pop like when they would yeah. go out. It was kind of like that. It was this flare and then it disappeared and my car died. Like it just shut down. Whoa. And then so so I kind of coasted to a stop and I looked in the car behind me or that had passed me had also died because I saw he was like kind of oh, wow. across the highway. Yeah. That's the weirdest thing that I had happened there. And then you know, I sat there for probably two, three minutes thinking, you know, thinking I was about to get abducted or something. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then the car started up again and it looked like his car started around the same time. So the power came back on and then I was Whoa. on my merry way. So, yeah. It is nuts. Yeah. It definitely makes me believe in something, you know, when mm-hmm. you see stuff like that, you're like, eh. yeah. Yeah. I do. My my theory has always been. I mean, I I like the idea that it's aliens, of course, <laughs> but there's also the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's also right on the other side of the mountains there is the air force base, and I think it's not impossible that there's like experimental military test flights and things that who knows. So who knows what could be? There could be a rational explanation, I guess. Well, they did say they saw like the black helicopters and stuff flying mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. When I was going to college there, I, I was the editor of the, or the assistant editor of the college newspaper. And for like a special Halloween edition, I tracked down some of the people that were in the Mysterious Valley book. Oh, nice. That he had interviewed. And I actually interviewed one of the, she was older at the time. I do not remember her name, but she was one of the prominent interviews in Mysterious Valley talking about how she had i think they had um several cows on her farm died strange mutilations and then they saw a a helicopter in the middle of their farm and they went out there to try and confront the helicopter and the helicopter took off wow and you know talking to her she said i mean she's just like a you know elderly woman owned a farm she didn't seem like she had any reason to make up any crazy stories she told it very kind of matter of fact so right yeah (laughs) so anyway yeah well i was i was very excited when you let me know that you were from alamos (laughs) because I do have, I have really, it is funny coming from Los Alamos, you know, everyone was kind of like, why were you wanting to go there? 
because it's just you know it's a state school in like a small town and yeah um like I said everyone I knew was trying to go to MIT and places like that and I was like I don't know I just I I think I was enough of a contrarian that I liked the idea of just going somewhere like that's like a regular place you know yeah and uh Actually, it's a very, it's a good school. I had a really great time there. It was a good four years. I have good memories there. So, what was it like growing up there? I've always wondered. You know, I, I never talked to like too many of the locals, except for the kids who would go to the school. But like, what was it like growing up there? So I did most of my childhood where you're playing pretend and and whatnot on my grandparents' ranch. So we had you know, a lot of acreage, mm. just run around, run a muck on. It was like one of those, you know, you leave when it's 9 a.m. and you come back when it's 9 p.m. and they're just like, well, hopefully they're still alive when they come <laughs> home, but whatever. Yeah. So there was a, a lot of, you know, outdoors kind of stuff. It, <laughs> we we did eventually get a uh, six movie uh, or like six screen movie theater. So there's that. That was pretty exciting. For oh, us. The, yeah. The Sky High. I'll, I remember that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, that was huge. Yeah. And I, I mean, I wasn't very good at like sports that required coordination. Um, so <laughs> I did running, mm-hmm. you know, cross country and track, which is like, that's the that's the sport to do up there. Yeah, like football in Texas for yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did a lot of yeah, like hiking, running, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff as I grew older. Mm-hmm. But I, I did enjoy it. Um, I liked kind of the small town atmosphere and, and whatnot now i mean i don't want to move back or anything but <laughs> i think it i think it was a good place to grow up mm-hmm. was it you know like growing up in where i grew up you know it was also a small town but it was it was different because it was you know it was very much based around the labs and everything mm-hmm. what was you know the climate because i just think like i've read some of your work now and we'll we'll get into it but uh you're you're definitely not shy about going pretty balls to the wall with <laughs> uh the horror and <laughs> and the, the violence i'm always curious you know like growing up in a town like alamosa which is such a like i said it's it, on the surface it's such a quaint small town very seems very rural very like all american like how did that like how did that kind of either inform like your development as a writer or was or was there because I think for me there was a little bit of a you know Los Alamos being kind of a conservative town in some ways there's a little bit of a Mm -hmm. defiance going into being like a horror writer there's a little bit of a like almost pushing against the culture of the town was there some of that for you Uh, I would say a little bit I would say you know there it's very big Catholic or Mormon church typically or either Mm -hmm. one or the other and I mean I'm just not a very religious kind of gal so mm. i think that that did play some into it because you know there, there's really not a lot of diversity in elmo so it's better now but like mm-hmm. growing up you know there was you didn't really know anybody that was like gay i think mm. maybe in my class in high school i had we only had one black girl you know i mean like there was mm. no people that were like jewish or muslim right. or anything so yeah i, I think it it did kind of I, I wanted to sort of fight like the conservative mm-hmm. status quo a little bit yeah. yeah i think that that kind of comes through in your writing but i don't want to i don't want to jump ahead too much so the other thing i'm very curious about because this also comes through in your work is your doctor actually yeah and that clearly informs some of your writing some of just that that medical background but uh just talk about that a little bit you're are you an er doctor am i correct about that yep Yep, ER doctor, yeah. So so how how did you kind of end up on that path and where did the writing fit in? With that. 
So interestingly enough, the whole kind of thing that made me want to become a doctor. Mm -hmm. So again, the ranch, we had animals running around and and whatnot. And at that time, they didn't have um, like sprinklers and stuff for like irrigating because we used to grow like alfalfa and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So they would have to like irrigate with like tarps and, you know, Mm -hmm. direct water certain ways. And when I was young, I was probably maybe five or something, something went wrong. And, and it, we had like a little litter of kittens down mm-hmm. there. And naturally, that's the first place I'm going to go check. And it didn't go so well for most of them. But there was mm-hmm. one and I brought it to my aunt, who's an RN, and then my mom. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm hysterical. I'm crying. And I think right. for lack of like anything else to do, they're like, I guess we'll try some CPR on this kitten here. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing this. I'm like sobbing. And then kitten comes back. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Interesting. <laughs> you know, you know, because it, it, I, I didn't want to be a vet, you know? Yeah. Like, I was going to ask, was there like a sounds- first thinking you'd be a vet and then that kind of evolved into being a doctor? Or where is it more... Just about like saving. It was more, yeah, yeah. I'm more, more about that. And like, I don't want to say this like in a. It's it would be very difficult to be a vet and have like to have to put animals down and and mm-hmm. things like that. Like, not to say that it's not affecting to like deal with people dying, but right. I don't know. Animals are very innocent, you know. Well, it, you know, it's that thing they always say about movies is it's like you can't you can't kill the kids or the dogs, and obviously, like you. <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know it's like you can you can have like you know massive body count but you, like the dog has to live yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it is funny i'm an animal lover too and i and that's you know we all have our kind of lines i think we find as a writer yeah and that's when i've written a couple things where animals get hurt and i always feel like i can do whatever to people i don't care but like right uh if it's an animal i have a hard time with it particularly a dog <laughs> yeah absolutely well and it's it's funny too we went to the one of two theaters that you know the San Luis Valley hosted mm-hmm. but um I, I think it, the movie's called Sleepers and it's like all of the like gray cats and stuff somehow get like pissed off and they start killing people um oh, what is that movie yeah I know, I know what you're yeah. talking about I can't I'd have to look it up yeah but... I have to find it yeah it's been a long time so my mom takes me and that's another thing my mom like is a total whore or fiend so i was introduced in a very young age so she <laughs> takes me to this movie theater and like people are just getting murdered right and left there's blood there's whatever and i'm just like mm-hmm. yeah pass the popcorn <laughs> and then at the end of the movie there's this scene where this like they're driving away from this house and they leave this like little kitten underneath the porch and he's he's just like looking <laughs> and I lost it in the movie theater like <laughs> sobbing my mom had to like carry me out she's like he's an actor he's an actor they give him tuna it's fine it's fine <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> no, that's interesting. I mean, it is interesting how even as a kid, we'll like we'll make that distinction, but to, somehow, yeah, somehow human beings, and this is not to say like, oh, it's fine. Who cares what happens to people? But somehow we right. feel like you know, there's that innocence with animals. That, but I would also think growing up on a farm because I know my grandfather grew up on the on a farm in um, Oklahoma, and he talked about this. And their relationship with animals was very different than mine growing up. And like animals were there for a purpose you definitely got used Mm -hmm. to like slaughtering animals or having to put animals down sometimes right did you have any of that kind of experience too or was it or were you kind of kept away from that so i i would watch them like brand the cows and stuff Mm -hmm. which 
was an experience in its own. But yeah, as far as like the slaughtering and stuff, they like outsourced that. So like the okay. cows got taken somewhere. It was a whole thing. But um, I, I, I did have a little calf named Oscar who's his mom ended up dying. Mm. And my grandma's genius. She's such a con. She's like, do you want your own pet cow? And I was like, <laughs> yes i do want my own pet cow and she's like great you have to go feed him four times a day wake up at 5 a.m yeah so i mean you you do get attached but Mm -hmm. yeah i guess you kind of know in the back of your mind like all right not too much right (laughs) so back on the on the um becoming a doctor so so it sounds like you decided to pursue that pretty early where did you end up going to medical school missouri so kirksville okay it's, uh, I'm trying to think, like, it's probably three hours from St. Louis, Kansas City, and, like, Des Moines. Oh, okay. So it's, like, kind of northern Missouri. Was that at all any kind of, like, culture shock? I, I would think that would almost be similar to Alamosa, because it's very Midwest, very farming kind of. Yeah. Um, not terribly, just because I, I think I was used to the small town. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a lot greener and um i would i think it's prettier but i like greenery compared to alamosa mm-hmm. and the thing I, i've noticed though about like the midwest is people are way nicer <laughs> in the midwest than like anywhere out west so that yeah. was something that would surprise me because people would oh hi and i'm like mm-hmm. all right alamosa is funny because i think culturally alamosa is almost a little more like new mexico in some ways like yeah there's a lot of similarity to uh what i grew up with in northern new mexico and we have a i mean new mexicans we really have a reputation for being very passive aggressive and i feel like that carried over in Alamosa, where it's like you, know, yeah. you can't rush anyone like if you try to rush someone like like service in a restaurant they're just gonna go they're not gonna get <laughs> mad but they're just gonna slow it down a little bit you know and like they're gonna <laughs> let <enough>. you know <laughs> versus where i went you know when i went to grad school in boston that's such an aggressive city oh yeah which is very different but you're right you know the midwest i find even chicago you know chicago has this reputation i think for being brash and kind of loud and um whatnot but what i found with people in chicago is that uh everyone i've ever met in chicago is very friendly they're just very like kind of in your face friendly you know yeah yeah. <laughs> Whereas Boston is very like not particularly friendly. <laughs> yeah. You can't ask Everybody for directions or help. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Did you always have the plan of like wanting to go into emergency medicine? So no, I, I didn't necessarily know exactly what I wanted to do mm-hmm. when I went in. I knew some things I wouldn't do, like I'm OB button gyne, um, mm-hmm. peas, that kind of stuff. Not not as, um, as I was coming out of stuff very much there's a lot of uh bodily fluids involved in both peas and ob i feel like but <laughs> yeah as i went through school you know you do rotations in medical school like you know certain specialties and some are required and then there's others that you would do if you're interested in them mm-hmm. and i found myself liking little things about each specialty and then when you put it together it's like oh i like the initial steps of dealing with certain things and then i want to kind of hunt it off (laughs) on (laughs) on somebody else to figure out the rest but and i also like the idea i mean who doesn't like the idea of being like the one that can save somebody Mm -hmm. i i I like that idea 
it's kind of, it's rewarding, I guess, mm-hmm. you know? So once I, I started um, learning what emergency medicine was like, that was a big thing. And then the stories that, that come along with that, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm somebody that likes to joke around and laugh and that's <laughs> a good place for it yeah. sometimes. <laughs> so back to the writing. So you're obviously, you had this plan. It sounds like early on you wanted to pursue becoming a doctor, but when did the writing start? When did you start? And, and at what point did you, like, was it, did you think of it more as a hobby early on or was it always something you wanted to do kind of in tandem professionally? And how do you think about balancing those two? I always want, I like the idea of being a writer growing up. I was a big mm-hmm. reader, mm-hmm. but it was more of like one day whenever I'm retired, maybe I'll write a novel just to see if I could do it or something. Mm-hmm. And I would like write little things like little stories and, and whatnot, but I never like showed anybody. I felt like, I don't know, even then I felt kind of imposter syndrome about it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I kind of kept it a little to the side, but whenever COVID and, and stuff like that went down, I was like, I'm going to give it a try, just kind of see what can happen. And mm-hmm. I went in with the idea of like, I want to do, try the novel. So I was like, well, I don't want to put this off until retirement because Again, COVID's going on and mm-hmm. people are dying. So I was like, well, might as well see what happens. And I also kind of needed an outlet because mm-hmm. I've always been like, I'll sketch and I'll draw and stuff. But yeah, I just needed something to well, almost look forward to sometimes. I, I mean, I would imagine while COVID was happening, I mean, you were right on the front lines if you're an emergency room doctor. So like, yeah, that had to have been really hard to... I can see needing. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And it was very helpful. Yeah. Uh, and was it always, you said your your mom was a big horror fan and kind of introduced you to the genre mm-hmm. early on. Was it always like you wanted to be a horror writer? Was that? Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, like a lot of horror people, Stephen King's my, my mm-hmm. like idol. Sure. So, yeah, that would always be what I was planning on doing what was it about because it is i'm fascinated by you know on one level i grew up always like i i've been a writer since you know i was i like seriously decided that i wanted to be a writer i think probably in middle school you know and obviously i I went off and worked in the movie industry for a long time so i'm kind of coming back to the fiction writing but i never you know Mm -hmm. I've, i've been writing since you know the early 90s and i was always the big horror guy you know (laughs) um when i was young and you know you get a reputation if you're known as and it probably didn't help that i was also like this size in middle school you know six six foot plus and (laughs) weird wearing black all the time and everything (laughs) but like i definitely like you get that reputation of uh being the weird kid or like um i had one teacher during a parent teacher conference told my mom she thought i was going to be a serial killer that's funny. No. <laughs> You're like, but he's really good at, you know, <laughs> the periods on his sentences. So there's, right. there's that. So I'm most fascinated by like, you know, what people's, uh, it's, it's such a fascinating dichotomy to me, I guess, having read your work and then also knowing that you're this er doctor like where is the that line for you of um being drawn on one level to this pretty violent like i'm reading some of your stuff pretty like you know you go like i said you go for it but then um, (laughs) but then your day job you're actually like the opposite you're saving lives you're you're helping people like yeah like how, how do you think about those two things kind of together well, I do think that, you know, having a, a background in emergency medicine, you know, you see some very gruesome mm-hmm. things. 
Mm-hmm. And like you said, obviously, actively, you're trying to fix that, save somebody, whatnot. But it almost kind of helps in a way with writing because you you see these things, you experience it firsthand. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, how many people can say they have literally like cut into somebody that's like alive and can, you know, feel things like that? Mm-hmm. So I think it's almost maybe a way of like therapy, mm-hmm. maybe kind of like managing what you do sometimes mm-hmm. and, and I know that's kind of odd to, to say it would be therapy because it's like I do these like grizzly splatter punky <laughs> like really gross stuff but <laughs> I don't know yeah I don't know it reconciles it somehow for me well I I can kind of see from you know and I haven't read I've read a couple of your short stories and obviously the broken heart which I want to get to in a minute here I can kind of see that and one thing that I think comes through in your work is in in a way uh, are you familiar with Bridget Nelson's work Oh, I love Bridget Nelson. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I interviewed her. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with her, and and uh, you know she also has the medical background. She was a OR nurse. But one thing that comes through, like reading her stuff, and I think definitely comes through in reading your stuff, is there is a. It almost reminds me in a way of um, what I've always said about Jack Ketchum in that there's, you know, it's extreme. I I would put you probably like, I don't know, I don't want to like label you, but like, do you feel comfortable being kind of put in the extreme horror category? Yeah, I would like that. Sort of splatterpunk. (laughs) Yeah. It's extreme, but there's an ethic to it or a moral kind of center to it in that it's not just like reveling in violence for violence sake. It's like you're really making us feel something particularly about like what is often done to women and the violence that women experience it definitely seems like that is that is central to at least the stuff of yours i've read so far that seems pretty central to does does that kind of and again obviously i know you can't you probably can't talk too much specifics but does that come from like things you've sort of observed or experienced as a doctor absolutely yeah well and and i mean like i think any person really Mm. will know somebody like a friend or something Mm. that something has happened to whether it's like physical assault sexual whatever right Mm. so you know there's that but yeah I I would say so because you know you see in emergency medicine like where do they bring somebody first after they find them and they're Mm. you know injured or or whatnot so they they bring them in and I mean they you see how affected they are and they're, mm-hmm. they tell you the story. It does make you angry. Like it makes you want justice for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I always like the idea of revenge, I guess, because, mm-hmm. you know, you do something shitty, there's consequences. <laughs> well, and I think the first thing of yours I read was uh, we're, we're in an anthology together. Um, it's the, I've got it right here. The, the Hellbound Books uh, anthology of Splatterpunk. And actually, our stories are actually side by side. I think your story and then my story is the one yeah. right after. But I just reread, I just reread, it's called Continuing Education, your story. And that sense of anger, I think. And, you know, there is there is a revenge kind of wish fulfillment aspect to it that, like, I found, I find really interesting because it's, it's, you know, I guess tell, tell us a little bit about that story and kind of where that story came from. So part of it is, so I have two nieces, twin nieces. Mm-hmm. So and seeing like their like friendship and, mm-hmm. and love for each other. That's it's like, it's it's very, like very pure bond. Yeah. yeah. And I've never seen that before. So that initially, like that, there was a little nugget of that in my brain. But um, yeah, I wanted 
kind of the idea of like somebody that maybe they have like darker impulses, but they channel kind of like Dexter, you know, you have darker Mm. impulses, but you channel it in a way that while maybe isn't very nice or (laughs) legal is, you know, you're still rooting for them. Mm. And I, I very much first off, just like a character like that. And I mean, Who's better to really get revenge on than somebody that's preying on other women or, or people? Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to root for them to go down, you know? Yeah. So just kind of combining all of that together. Well, what I thought was interesting about that story is you made a very particular choice that you kept us in the in the mindset of the the rapist serial killer who, uh, and, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say, you know, he's... No. He's a predator, he's attacking women, and he tries to attack a woman who basically turns the tables on him. And then it's about her, like you said, kind of in this Dexter sort of style, getting her revenge on him. But you keep us in his perspective. So we're actually feeling what he's feeling as she's <laughs> removing parts of his body <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> um, that was, I thought that was an interesting choice because I think in a weird way... It allowed you to humanize him just enough where even though like we're kind of rooting for her, we're not mm-hmm. ever forgetting that what she's doing is kind of also pretty horrible. Right. Yeah. Was that was that a like a specific choice to approach it that way? Or was it just kind of naturally how the story evolved? It was naturally how it did evolve, but having it come from his perspective where he's the one experiencing this i think Mm -hmm. it offers a different like intimacy maybe Mm -hmm. because when you're describing it from like what the person is doing to that rapist Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's not as like awful i guess you know because they're probably enjoying what they're doing Mm -hmm. so they're they're not you're not seeing it from that perspective of the person that's being you know emotionally and physically violated i mean it's really and and you and you do this in uh, the broken heart too to a degree but it's you know you here's this person who has been doing terrible things to women um and you don't go i mean i think you let us kind of read between the lines a little bit you you know we know what he has done without you having like really take the time to actually show that aspect of it you kind of drop us into his perspective kind of when the tables get turned on him but you know he's uh, like it's interesting because as he's being (laughs) basically taken apart piece by piece by this woman who's kind of turned the tables on him he's laying there thinking like how can she do this to me (laughs) you know like he's literally thinking like you know oh my god this is so much worse than what i've done to other people this is you know so like there's also even though i'm like in a weird way empathizing with him just on a physical level what's being done you're also like never letting him off the hook (laughs) like he stays a terrible person (laughs) up to the end that i thought that was you know as as a splatterpunk story goes that's one of my the ones i've enjoyed the most recently and i think it's because like you really this like you know a lot of times um I find extreme horror, if it's not well done, it's like, I can really feel you trying to offend me or like, look how shocking I'm being or whatever. Yeah. Where this one was actually just genuinely shocking. Like literally my body felt the shock of like when she's doing things to him. Like I was actually like, you know, in that place. Yeah. Like you're like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I w- <laughs> well, thank you. 
I was never, I was never like aware of like, oh, this story is trying to be shocking. It just, it just was without sort of uh, telegraphing it too much, I guess. I thought that was very well done. Well, let's talk about uh, the novel. So I, well, before we get to the novel, actually, I wanted to ask you one thing. There was one thing of yours I wanted to read and I ordered it and it didn't arrive in time. So I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I want to know a little bit more about it. Um, it's uh it looks like a novella that you have. I just saw it on Amazon. It's called Only You Can Prevent Forest Fires. Yes. <laughs> um, tell me, because like, I'm just reading the quotes about it. Like, so here's from, this is just on Amazon. Uh, here's one of the quotes, I think, from an author, S.K. Berkman. It says, a morass of mind-altering substances mixed with regret. This fast-paced novel out by the talented N.J. Gallegos will make you cringe and laugh out loud in turns, and you will love the twist at the end. And then the, um, the next from David Rollins Green, it says, Gallegos draws you into the, the narrative, a concoction of drugs, infidelity, and depression, which slowly builds through a series of calamities and poor decisions that leads to one of the craziest and heart-pounding sequences of man versus beast I've seen in recent memory. So, like, reading these, there's no plot description on here. It's just the quotes, and, like, I have no idea what the story's about. But I'm sure. immediately intrigued. <laughs> so tell us just a little <laughs> bit about it. So that can, you know, only you can prevent forest fires. It's, it's almost a little bit of a love letter. To, to the San Luis Valley because it takes place um, most, for the most part in South Fork. Oh, okay. So, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a little bit of, of that aspect that, that goes with it, but it kind of combines a lot of the things that interest me or I enjoy. Like there's a lot of references to like EDM because I, I, I love that kind of music. And mm-hmm. I used to go to festivals when I was cool and like could stand for more than an hour without getting tired. But in <laughs> Essentially, it's one of the things growing up in the valley too. Was you you you're all constantly drilled like no fireworks, don't do this, don't do this, mm-hmm. don't do this because you know fires are a very real scary thing that right. happens. So it's one of the things that I kind of fear, and so I wanted to tell this story of this guy who essentially you know kind of fucks up, cheats on his girlfriend, she breaks up with him, he's having his little spiral and he decides to go find himself in this mm-hmm. you know remote cabin in south fork and inadvertently starts a forest fire mm. that then draws a, a bear kind of towards his area and our friend our little uh, protagonist steven has decided to smoke a lot of weed and do <laughs> lsd so shit happens <laughs> as okay, it does well. All right. Well, I, yeah, I'm definitely. So I wondered if it was like literally about a forest fire because, like you were saying, you know, that's that's a genuine uh, threat out here in the West. You know, my I've talked about it on, yeah. uh, I think, my other podcast. Um, but you know, my house in Los Alamos that I grew up in burned down in a forest fire. Uh, actually, oh, like wow. three days after I graduated from Adam State, which is in Alamos, <laughs> after I graduated from college, the the house like there was a controlled burn in Bandelier national forest that got out of control and burned i think fifty thousand acres and 400 homes oh my gosh so i'm very like um i wasn't there at the time i was actually at the world horror convention in denver it was my graduation present to myself watching it all happen on cnn (laughs) and wondering where my parents were yeah it was crazy but so i'm very aware of that everybody was all right with your family and everything Mm -hmm. with that yeah 
good. But it was, you know, and I'm, you know, there's this horrible situation in Maui right now that I've just, like, my heart's going out to people because it's, there was, with this fire in Los Alamos, there was a couple days where I didn't know, I couldn't get a hold of my family. And there were rumors about people having died in the fire. It turned out no one died. Right. But, you know, I watch what's happening in Maui and it's just, it's like, that's my nightmare of what it could have been. Yeah. I've been pretty riveted and sort of horrified by that story or that not story, but like event that's happening right now. (laughs) Well, and it's like way more prevalent now too, because of Mm. like climate change and stuff. So it's like, it's even scarier because Mm. it's happening on a wide scale. Like the Canada fire, we're getting like their smog and the smoke and stuff like from there. It's nuts. Yeah. It really is. So yeah, now I'm really intrigued by reading this. So like I said, I was hoping to get it in time, but it just didn't quite make it. And there's no Kindle version. So <laughs> before we get into the broken home, but I just want to talk about, so your journey as a writer and kind of, you, know, you said you started really like as an outlet during COVID. So we're saying maybe mm-hmm. three years ago, what, what has the process been like, you know, getting published and how have you been finding your way into the community of horror writers? So, yeah, I started initially wanting to do the novel and whatnot. And, you know, like any writer, I'm going to procrastinate from my main project by doing something different. So I would I would get these ideas for short stories. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was honestly just like Googling, how do I get published in horror? And (laughs) essentially everything kind of led me to like Twitter. So I joined Twitter. I will not call it X Elon. Get wrecked. I'm not doing it. <laughs> that was the biggest thing, you know, mm-hmm. meeting people and, and everybody's very like encouraging on there. I feel like the horror community is like just fantastic because people genuinely want to see each other succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've very different, very much felt the same thing. And obviously there, there are, I mean, there's a controversy going on right now that I kind of want to talk to you about in a second, but like there are tensions and things that pop up, but overall what I found is that there's a real team spirit kind of, we're all in it together kind of feel with indie horror Yeah, and everyone's kind of rooting for everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. So yeah, really joining Twitter and interacting and, and seeing what other people do, because that's one of the big things that people share is their own journey and this is what I've done and this is my experience. And one actually the first thing I even ever got published was a Drabble. Mm. Like a yeah, it was in Drabble Dark collection of Drabbles, the second one. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I wanted to go like small. I mean it's a hundred words, right? Mm-hmm. Because I felt like maybe it would be like less of a rejection or something. So then when <laughs> I got it accepted, I was like, okay. And then yeah. it, it just kind of it it built my confidence some and I guess I'm just a person like when I want to do something like I'm going to pursue it to the its end essentially because I mm. hate having a regret about anything so sure. yeah Twitter and then kind of started going for it and learning and it's been great and did you like immediately find yourself drawn more in the like extreme direction because I read and I guess you call it a travel you have a story called uh, locked in syndrome which is um, oh yeah obviously it's 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 I think all probably about a hundred words or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about you know from the perspective of a woman that seems like who has locked in syndrome, which is like one of my biggest fears. It's like there's nothing oh yeah 
almost nothing more horrifying. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, I mean, I guess it's, uh, tell me if I get it wrong, but it's basically like in the sort of condition where you're just sort of locked in your body and you can't communicate. Yep. But you know everything that's happening. We are aware. Yeah. But, you know, that's not a particularly extreme story. No. But then when you get to continuing education, that's that's pretty splatter funky. And I would say yeah. um, the novel, uh, The Broken Heart, is also like, it kind of builds toward in, in the more splatter punk direction. But were you always kind of drawn to to that? to to the more extreme side or did you kind of find your way there over time i would say more i found my way there over time although my favorite kind of my favorite films are a bit gruesome i, I mean hellraiser is pretty <laughs> gruesome kind of gore splattered thing so i guess i've always like enjoyed like that media but yeah I, I i guess i started realizing that with the things i've seen in like my medical background and stuff mm. like i could bring a unique kind of perspective on it and i enjoyed that like i liked kind of surprising and shocking people too mm -hmm. yeah when i do Definitely. like and you have stuff i'm, I'm sort of holding it off because i really want to like dive into it but you have stuff in the broken heart that i found genuinely shocking particularly towards the end but again none of it felt like it was there for the purpose of shock value you know it, it never felt like you were telegraphing like yeah you know look look how look how shocking i can be it was just kind of like the story kind of led there and then you know things happened <laughs> right you know i'm i'm fascinated by extreme horror because i don't generally consider myself an extreme horror writer my story in the anthology of splatterpunk egg um it's one of the gorgeous like that one <laughs> it, it, it like physically made me a little bit like <laughs> like but in a good way yeah. you know <laughs> well i would say it's almost more body horror uh splatterpunk yeah. in some ways because and i talked about Definitely. it on here um when i interviewed holly ray garcia she had read it we talked about it a little bit but it's basically about a, a biker who comes home one day and finds out his wife and he's like a real sons of anarchy kind of you know outlaw biker you know gun runner drug dealer <laughs> um not a not you know i was very much like I wanted to create this character who's like a misogynist, you know, asshole, who is not, you know, his wife is sick. He's not taking her seriously. And then he comes home and discovers that she's laid an egg and then things <laughs> go from there. Viral. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, it was just a weird image I had of like coming home and realizing like your wife or girlfriend has laid an egg. And I thought it's such an almost inherently misogynistic idea that i was like i have to lean into that with the character you know yeah. because it really turns her femininity into something that's very alien so i had to i want i was like i want him to react in like the worst way possible <laughs> yeah as as a man <laughs> you know to kind of make it more about him in some ways than about mm -hmm. her but, you know, like, I always find, as someone who's more, you know, I tend to be more like cosmic horror and stuff like that. But I, you know, I love Bridget's stuff. I've really enjoyed your stuff. Um, I do love a lot of, like, classic splatterpunk. And I do try to push myself here and there in that direction to see, you know, where my limits are. Sure. You know, I don't know if you've, and I don't want to get too deep into it because I don't know any of the people involved. There is this kind of flare up online about two book reviewers and I'm not remembering their names, two women posted a video discussion basically is like a big takedown of extreme horror. Oh yeah. And, and uh, I watched part of it because obviously the extreme horror community is now up in arms about this. And there's been a lot of back and forth between them and between different 
writers and it's become very personal and very kind of nasty ah. and it seems like there's some there's some background with some of the personal stuff um and so that's again why i don't want to get too deep into it because i'm not involved with any of it but what sure. you know listening to what they were saying and they were talking from the perspective of being fans of extreme horror mm -hmm. who have also i think maybe hit their limit with it is what it sounds like but their their approach is very confrontational and very like kind of, you know they're they were calling a lot of the people who were like commenting on the, their videos like immediately saying like calling people incels like if you're pushing back against them you're an incel kind of stuff and it was very it just very um <laughs> yeah like i said very uh immediately kind of con confrontational and they but they're trying to articulate where their lines are their personal lines are because they were basically saying like some books just should not be written and you know they're, they're talking about specific books and like this crossed the line this shouldn't have been written you know mm. but then the line seemed very arbitrary to me and you know and it's like they couldn't even agree on where the line was and so i it just had me thinking about this and i knew having read your stuff and having you knew you were coming on for this interview where how do you think about you know crossing lines and like are there lines that you won't cross? And like, how do you approach writing something that, because I think you do it well. Like you you, you do extreme horror in a way where, like I said, you never lose, like there's a moral core to it. Like, how do you think through that stuff? And is it something that you struggle with or is it something that you just kind of trust your instinct and go? I think there's a little bit of each in that. So one story that I, I absolutely love but it is a very difficult hard story to read is like jinx mm -hmm. you know bridget nelson's short story like i mean it is great yeah and we talked about you know she was very insistent on needing to have a trigger warning for that story yeah but it, i mean it is i mean the awful thing about it is is like these things legitimately happen in real mm -hmm. life you know right. like it, it we're not just doing this to be nasty i guess mm -hmm. you know so like I feel like it's just you first off you just really can't censor what people want to mm -hmm. take in as far you know like books and, and whatnot I mean maybe the only like book that should probably be banned would be like Mein Kampf and like shit like that you know what I mean <laughs> like things like that but even then that's a, a difficult dicey territory that you're getting into that's see the because that's interesting like i'm i'm jewish and i'm fascinated by neo-nazis and anti-semitism so i've actually read right. parts of mein kampf and i've read um the turner diaries which is the horribly oh, yeah. racist anti-semitic i mean basically inspired the oklahoma city bombing and like right i'm really on the fence about the, you know because on one level it's like they're awful and i've read them and i can't i'm not gonna say they're anything other than awful right i i'm always on the fence about like what good does it do to ban it because then it's gonna go underground you know and like that's true yeah i'd almost rather stuff be like out there that we can talk about it and examine it right yeah particularly something like the turner diaries which is like has literally inspired lots of murder and mayhem like that book has like gotten a lot of people killed yeah but like what good is it going to do to ban it you know because True. someone's going to read it you're not actually going to get rid of it so but then like emotionally i want to ban it <laughs> because it's terrible yeah um, yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. Because I think the line, like, I, I would, I don't want to say I wouldn't ever venture into this territory in my writing, but mm -hmm. I would have a very hard time writing something like Jinx just because mm -hmm. I would struggle with that, you know, mm -hmm. subject matter. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, she said that was a very painful story for her to write. She said it took her 
yeah. like months to finish it. It's not a long story, but mm-hmm. she just couldn't live in that space for too long, you know, and I can yeah. understand. I don't know how you could, yeah. She she perfectly conveys, like, you know, she does very well in showing the horror and the gore and mm-hmm. the explicitness of it, but she also brings you into the characters, the, the characters mind and it's just it's, it's heartbreaking it's awful but in the best way possible yeah yeah it really is and we should just say she did just win the splatterpunk award for it i think yeah like, just she deserved whatever. It, yeah sure. i mean i think i i knew that she was gonna win for that but what i like and you know from talking to her about that we were talking you know whenever we did our interview a couple months ago i really feel like it's not a story i could write and i and it's not and it's you know as a man it's probably not a story i should write Although, you know, again, I don't like to make those kind of hard and fast statements. But, like, for me, I think it would be a line that would be hard. And we should say, for anyone who doesn't know, the story Jinx is by Bridget Nelson. It's in her collection, uh, Bouquet of Viscera, which also won the Splatterpunk Award. And it's basically a rape-revenge story where the revenge goes wrong. And yeah. it's <laughs> it's one of the most painful things I've ever read. Mm-hmm. But what I think makes it, like, I could see people saying, oh, this crosses a line. This shouldn't have been written. But the fact that she, like, she keeps this core of humanity with the character and what's happening to this character that we right. really, like, care about. And never lets that character lose their humanity or their dignity, even as they're being horribly, like, I don't want to spoil it, but just horrible things happening. Yeah. And I, for me, I feel like that's what separates the good extreme horror from the bad is when I feel the author's empathy, I think, for the character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, when, well, and I'm trying, like, I'm not saying like somebody, like somebody that's like a total, you know, shit bag, horrible person, mm-hmm. like, I don't think that they're necessarily going to read a book and then be like, oh, now I understand that mm-hmm. other people have feelings, you know, but like, you know, you're showing a different perspective that maybe other people have never considered and they read something like that. And maybe it does give them pause mm-hmm. and makes them think about their decisions and, and whatnot. So, I mean, I think you can look at it from that perspective and say that mm-hmm. it could be beneficial. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, again, thinking about this, um, and I don't like, I feel a little weird talking about it because it's not a controversy I want to wade into too deeply. But this whole thing, this kerfuffle that's kind of blown up, they were very focused on extreme horror books that are written by men that feature violence and horrible violence towards women and children. And I get, like, I get why, like I said, you know, that, those are, there's some lines that I don't think I would want to cross as a man writing horror. I don't want to, like, make a broad statement that all men need to adhere to whatever my line is, you know? Right. But I do think it's like, I do think men should think about what they're writing. Not necessarily to say censor yourself, but like, you should at least be thoughtful about what you're doing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting to me is, you know, there is this idea that extreme horror is misogynistic um that's it's inherently misogynistic but i think about writers like you writers like bridget writers like christine morgan and then Mm -hmm. a lot of the fans of extreme horror are women so there's something else going on there you know that's not it's not it's too reductive to say like oh it's misogynistic rape fantasies which was kind of where i felt like they maybe went wrong a little bit in their 
takedown. Yeah. Almost. So yeah, like again, <laughs> I don't know if I even really have a question about it other than what we've already <laughs> talked about. But it is something I've been. I thinking need to about. go investigate for sure. Yeah, I'll send you the link. Yeah, I'll send you some of the links to it just so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, cool. Like I felt like they made some valid points, but I also felt like they kind of they maybe overstated some stuff. And apparently they have yeah. a second video which I haven't watched. That is like their first video was like, here's the problems with extreme horror. And then the second video is like, here's what we love about extreme horror. So I do think there's maybe a more balanced take in there that I, I've only sure. seen about half of it so far. So I'm fascinated by how defensive some of the writers are and then how defensive some of the reviewers are in this space. And it just seems like, yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm really curious where those lines are for people as writers and as readers i'm sure it's different for everybody too yeah and it's a line that probably shifts depending on Mm -hmm. your mood what's going on you know well that's like what i've i've thought you know as someone who i don't write a ton of extreme horror but i'll i'll dabble i'll you know i'll kind of toe up to the line of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and then i don't read exclusive you know i read sort of all types of horror so what i found is that if i'm reading a lot of extreme horror in like a big chunk you know a lot of different stories or books all at once like the line moves down i guess it's like there's a point at which it's like okay i've hit my fill of this i can't keep doing it but if i you know read an extreme horror book or story and then i read some other stuff and then you know a few months later i read another extreme horror it's it's less about a a hard and fast line and more about like taking in as much as you can handle at any given time right you know exactly yeah that does make sense how like as a reader how much because you mentioned like Stephen, you're a big Stephen king fan as a reader how much do you read of like the the more hardcore stuff versus like other types of horror Probably less, honestly. I've never read Jack Ketchum, but I, I plan on it. You know, mm. I have my to-be red pile massive, but mm. I, I more so, I guess, or am into the extreme horror from, you know, like the indie community, reading mm. the anthologies and, and, and whatnot. But I mean, I guess, would you consider Clive Barker extreme? Because I've read like his stuff. Yeah, back in the day, he definitely was considered extreme. I'm not sure if I've definitely read stuff that goes way beyond him now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm not sure where he would fall now, but um, he was. I mean, he was kind of considered the godfather of splatterpunk back like when I started reading, like the early '90s. You know. Right. Um. Well, we should go ahead and talk. I do want to talk also about American Mary, uh, which was the movie that you. Oh recommend. God, yeah. <laughs> um. I just watched it again actually this morning. I got up early to watch it because I wanted to be super fresh. Um, but before we get to that, let's sure. go and talk about The Broken Heart, your, your novel. So this is coming out on the 19th. Is that correct? September 19th? Yep. September 19th. Yep. Yep. Um, tell us just a little bit. Give us like the setup for it and then we'll talk about it. Because I, sure. I, I have to say like I absolutely loved it. And it really surprised me. And so, like, you know, it, it, it's it got a setup that I feel like is a familiar setup. And then you take it in such a wildly different direction. So go ahead and just kind of give us, like, mm-hmm. the setup of what the story is. So the broken heart follows the housewife, Casey mm-hmm. Phillips, who, like a lot of people, probably, you know, kind of puts their dreams and wants aside to achieve the American dream of, you know, family and, and whatnot. And it doesn't turn out as she's hoping. Um, mm-hmm. You know, her husband is deadbeat, 
alcoholic. Um, mm. Her son's like Ted Bundy Jr. And then she ends up getting pregnant and has heart failure, heart transplant from a serial killer. <laughs> and, you know, she she regains her health. But uh, other things have changed a little bit for her. And mm. she maybe gets some of the guts to exact revenge and mm-hmm. do what she wants, finally. Yeah. Well, the, so the like I said, it's it's a setup that you know, we've seen versions of this before. Like, think of a movie like, uh, I think it's called The Eye. Yeah. With Jessica Alba. Um, and I know that's a remake of, a, I believe, a Hong Kong film. And then I, there's a really pretty bad movie from the 90s although it's a lot of fun called body parts um that's i think a guy he gets like a his arm transplant from a serial killer or something like that so it's like we've seen like that is a trope that has existed but you really like i think you get inside of the idea in a way that feels both much more real and very frightening i found because i found (laughs) you know you know we're following casey's life and she's yeah she's got this terrible husband jack who like you said he's just kind of a deadbeat he doesn't seem like maybe the worst guy in the world but he's definitely a dead he could be worse and and he does i you know want to like not spoil too much but um the circumstances of her second pregnancy are not not ideal ideal. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, her health has collapsed sort of due to the second pregnancy. She's now got an infant daughter who she loves, but then she's got this son, Owen, who really is like, I mean, he's a little, if you've seen the movie, we need to talk about Kevin. He's like, he's kind of like, one yeah. of his lines, like just a little sociopath. Just clearly like yeah. this kid is going to be a serial killer. And she's trying to like navigate that. And then you have this parallel story of a guy who we just kind of dip into his life here and there, but he's a serial killer who I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say he gets killed in an accident and they don't know that he's a serial killer. I mean, she gets his heart, you know, her uh, heart transplant. And then the way you manage to, I think what I found so disturbing about it is that it's not that she gets possessed by his soul exactly, it's that whatever toxic, violent awfulness was in him takes what's going on with her, like her own anger, and distorts it and amplifies it. So it's like she's right. not, you know, even though she is kind of like, have, she's having these dreams where um, she's experiencing his life as a serial killer, but it's her day-to-day circumstances get amplified and get warped and distorted. Um, and so the way his kind of, rage and hatred infuses with hers was really i found really disturbing like how did you how did you think about that like how did you like did you see it as like a possession story or did you see it more as like coming from her and the heart is a catalyst just kind of how i so initially i had i'd written it more so um like she was not i wouldn't say like it's not like a carbon copy or anything but she didn't she was more of like a sociopath like Mm -hmm. She had a lot more internal anger and whatnot, and she wasn't as relatable mm. in like the initial first draft. Um, so initially, I think it was probably more so like possession kind mm. of story, whereas it, it turned it evolved more so into like, yeah, she's experiencing some of the same like feelings and compulsions that he did, but she takes it kind of and harnesses it to what she feels is like appropriate mm. 
I wouldn't say she's like a Dexter necessarily where she's like, no, but yeah, so, so more so it embodied her a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I thought, cause I did not read her as a sociopath earlier, on, but it's about like no. kind of watching her become a sociopath over time, you know, over the course of the story. Right. You know, and she has this like moment that actually, I think where I started, like I went from like, oh, this is kind of a fun serial killer you know knowing that like okay she's gonna get the heart transplant kind of knowing where that was gonna go it went from that to being something actually much more got under my skin i think was when she has her kind of break you know she's after the heart transplant she's being required to go to this these therapy sessions with a pretty not good therapist Um, right (laughs) it just seems like pretty checked out is not really like giving her what she needs as maybe sort of a perv and she just she has this like she unloads on it at one point and it's where you see that turn happening with her where she is becoming infused with this other spirit and i think what got under my skin about it is having like I have a history of depression myself and you know, the way I didn't recognize it for a long time as depression because the way it would manifest with me wasn't sadness. It'd be anger. And I would have these, like I would go through these bouts of just being angry and the anger felt very alien. I I was angry at everything and everyone around me and I didn't know why. And it felt like there was something from the outside kind of pushing it in, you know, Mm -hmm. this is before I got, you know, kind of treated and everything. You know, this was, many many years ago but i think her experience casey's experience in the broken heart kind of took me back to that a little bit because there's something about like when you give in to that anger Mm -hmm. there's like a euphoria to it like there's there's definitely a euphoria to losing your temper uh, in that moment there is yeah just the release of it and that's obviously very dangerous and very destructive right but i thought you really captured that you know of what anger kind of does to you over time. Yeah, it's a poison, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think some, I don't know if it, this is maybe in the back of my mind, but, you know, women suffering from like postpartum depression mm-hmm. too, maybe mm-hmm. kind of hinting towards that a little bit as well. Well, and, you know, the other thing, and I, I want to not spoil where the story goes, but as she kind of melds more with this, whatever, the serial killer's soul that has been implanted into her, as she kind of like, I guess, releases into it, sort of accepts it, she does some things that are awful, but you, but I'm able to see the logic in her head right. of what, you know, the anger has led her to a place of being like, well, this is what makes sense. This is This is what I have to do. Um, and I right. mean, again, I, listeners can probably sort of guess the type of thing I'm talking about, but I don't want to like totally spoil it. But it's it was very I don't, I don't know. Like I was much more unnerved, I think, by the book than I expected to be. Um, what what is? <laughs> which, um, uh, <laughs> I just did a Mr. Burns thing for, right. for those that obviously cannot see us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was it like? Right? Like, did you as you were writing it? Did you find yourself being disturbed by her journey or were you kind of more like an outside observer to it? Once I um, kind of stepped back from her being more like sociopath carbon copy of the Uh serial killer and I kind of tried to put myself in her headspace and and whatnot. Yeah, I I did get a bit disturbed sometimes, especially, um, you know, writing some of the scenes, which I'm sure that you can imagine, which are 
the first one how about i say that the first grizzly scene that mm. one was a little bit difficult mm -hmm. but i mean i think it's necessary you know mm. but yeah it, it did kind of unnerve me as well but i also enjoyed it in a sick mm. way so there, there is that yeah. <laughs> well i mean i and, you know and i find this i mean that's the pleasure when you're coming up with something fucked up right is like on one level and it's also as a reader you know we're, we're drawn to being like that kind of dual reaction of like being repulsed by something you come up with and being like delighted by it right like you're like, oh my god, this bitch needs therapy right here. But, <laughs> but you're like so pleased with yourself. Yeah, <laughs> like there are definitely <laughs> things I've written that like I've been like, where the fuck did that come from? And like, I sort of disturbed or upset myself. But when I do that, is like there's also this real sense of accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, and like it's like okay, if I got to myself, I know this is gonna get to other people. You know, exactly. Yeah. How long did it take you to write that book? The book, um. I'm trying to think because I worked on it a little bit at a time because initially I didn't really tell anybody that I had this uh, goal. Uh -huh. So I would I would write like when my wife was at work or, or whatnot. And I, it, I don't know. It almost felt like a like dirty little secret. So <laughs> it, the first draft probably was like probably took about a year because I would just work on it off and on. Mm -hmm. Then I joined Twitter and, and realized, you know, like this is what like alpha readers, beta readers, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I sent the story out to a few people and they provided feedback. So I went off that and did, you know, additional drafts, which took, I don't know, a couple months. And then it, the it really evolved once. So yeah, more humanizing Casey, um, mm -hmm. not making okay. her so... So immediately. I mean, she wasn't very... Uh, yeah, that was the biggest one. Um, and then... And there's some other stuff in there that I had that initially got, it got cut. That was more so like them trying to figure out like who the serial killer was and whatnot. And I just like completely dropped that. But mm. um, well, I love how we really don't know much about. I mean, I guess we do get his name. His name's Eugene, um, but we really don't know yeah. much about him. Well, and I like the idea maybe of a prequel or something. You know, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> something like that but yeah once i i got my editor i think i because i did pit dark and and that's how mm. i ended up getting like my publisher and my editor and who's the publisher winding road stories publications okay we were at StokerCon. we were we were by the door and we were selling stuff to swifties when they came in <laughs> i guess i didn't see you at StokerCon. <laughs> yeah no it's, it's all good <laughs> but yeah so i think like you know, November, I started really working on the editing process. And I think it was more or less complete, like around April, but there was a lot of rewriting. So, and whatnot. so it's moving into publication pretty quick then from April to September. That's yeah. What, what's the what's that relationship like with an editor? Because I haven't really done that yet. I've had I've had alpha readers and stuff. I get uh, yeah, like Rebecca Roland and Bridget and people to read my stuff, but like I haven't gone through the process of actually working with an editor yet, other than like on the short stories that I published and stuff. But what's that like working with an sure. editor in in a novel sense, you know, in a long, more long form kind of sense? Yeah, it it, it was definitely an adjustment. Um, you know, like, I'm not saying I don't, I enjoy criticism. I invite feedback mm -hmm. as long as it's not like, you suck, like, boo, sure. like, I want something, like, tell me what to fix. <laughs> but I, I guess it's like, you know, you go from medical training, though, where you're, like, told, like, okay, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of messes with you a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I had to definitely fix my mindset, like, he's not telling me this because 
like he's being a douche, like he's trying to fix the story and, and whatnot. So a lot of it was just getting over my own hangups, I guess. Well, I would think, yeah, because and obviously I'm not, and I've not gone through the medical training, but growing up around scientists and mathematician type people, I know that like in those kind of fields, it's more like there's a right way to do something or there's a wrong, right? like there's a right way to do heart surgery or a wrong way to do heart surgery, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I could imagine that going from that, because, you know, like I tell my students a lot of times, you know, one thing, and I, this is one thing I learned in the movie industry as working as a screenwriter is like dealing with a bad note, which is sometimes they'll give, you'll get a note from someone that you know is like not right or their solution is incorrect. You know, they say, oh, you should do this. You're like, mm, that. You just know that that's not correct. But like, does that mean that they're wrong? Not necessarily. It means maybe they're reacting to something. Maybe their solution to the problem isn't where you want to go, but you got to like right. trace back to what they're reacting to. And it's like rarely like there's a right way or wrong way to do it. Like, oh, this is the right way to fix this chapter or the scene. Exactly. It's it's much more amorphous. I would imagine coming from the medical background, that had to be a bit of an adjustment. Yeah, it, it definitely was. But once I kind of fixed that mindset, mm-hmm. I found it to be extremely helpful because I could bounce thoughts and whatnot off of him. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, there's certain points where he's like, you need to be like more extreme. And mm-hmm. then there's others where he's like, you need need to calm it down a little bit there like bring it down a notch so yeah i mean he they were very instrumental in helping develop the story into what it is for sure i found it to be very helpful and i enjoyed it well i thought that's interesting what you said about the balance of like when to go extreme and when not to because what i thought but it's what jack ketchum when you get to reading jack ketchum (laughs) you'll probably notice that he (laughs) does really well um, and I feel like you, and again, it's what I think you do well as an extreme horror writer is you actually know when to like pull back where it's not just sort of splatter from start. Like gratuitous. To, yeah. yeah. Well, where it just gets kind of numbing, you know, like it's just after yeah. a while, you're not even really feeling it anymore. Like I think in the broken heart, the way you build to some pretty extreme stuff at the end and like the way i i kind of knew where it was going but i was like she's not gonna go like she's not actually gonna go there right and then you kind of do but in like a way i didn't expect there's that it's not just about the shock value of the violence is you really do a great job of creating like a sense of dread particularly from the moment that she gets the heart even from the heart surgery itself where things kind of go wrong in the heart surgery and she wakes up in the middle of it like you know just you kind of know like there's just this anticipation for like this isn't gonna end well (laughs) right and i think that build up to this kind of crescendo at the end i thought was really like did you find where, where did you go so the extreme stuff earlier and your editor was kind of like, no, like hold it off or like, how did those conversations um, go? I'm trying to think. I think that the extreme stuff was mostly, I would say what, like by the two thirds of the way through, it gets mm-hmm. maybe a bit, um, yeah. that remained pretty where it was set. But yeah, I, I was a little bit initially more violent for just violent sake, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I did end up scaling back a lot of that and um yeah so it, it did add a little bit more shock value whenever yeah. it occurred well, I think, yeah yeah the way and even when it like when it occurs and again i i, I want to be a little circumspect because i don't want to spoil it but you know <laughs> something happens towards the end and we see like oh she's she's gonna do something now 
and then you take your time before she actually does it. <laughs> and it's like, and that's the moment where I was like, I, I she's not really going to go. Or I think she's going to go. Right. And then sure enough, it kind of does. Um, but just the way you built to that, I thought was really beautifully done and really disturbing. You also well, do you. one thing I you do that's really interesting in both the broken heart. And I think even in continuing education is, and I'm thinking specifically of Jack, the character of Jack, her husband, her deadbeat kind of um, awful husband. Um, we're only really seeing him from her perspective through the almost the entire story. And then kind of right towards the end, you finally let us into his perspective. And it's this really interesting way of humanizing him kind of late in the story. Was that, how did you think about that? Because it was, um, I thought that was a really interesting choice where, to give us a glimpse of like his perspective and again, not letting him off the hook for anything he's done, but allowing us like a beat of empathy for him. How did you think about that? Humanizing him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's essentially why I didn't really want to include it earlier because I want you to get, I want the reader to get angry with him, mm-hmm. you know, and then they kind of start rooting for what, may potentially occur no spoilers right now but (laughs) but yeah i did want to kind of provide a perspective as to like why he is the way that he is Mm -hmm. which i think a lot of people can probably identify with to a point um so then it makes what happens to him more i guess impactful Mm -hmm. you feel a little bit for him yeah and I thought that really worked, but what I liked about it is that you didn't do a total reversal where it's like, oh no, we totally understand where he's coming from. And he's just a totally misunderstood character. Because even his reasons for being the way he is are like sort of petty and selfish, you know? Right. And like the way he views his wife and kind of Casey's role in his life is pretty petty and selfish. <laughs> but right. it also feels very real, very human you know and so you you manage to humanize him but you don't pull your punches with it and i thought that was really interesting how you do it and you do that somewhat with um in continuing education where it's the end of the story is where we get the context of why she's doing why she's hunting down these rapists and serial killers right it's an interesting way of kind of taking a character who's almost an archetype and then and then using that against us you know kind of you lull us into sort of thinking like oh we know who this person is and then you kind of like turn the tables on us in an interesting way anyway i don't again i don't really have a question there i just i really like that (laughs) (laughs) thank you all right i do want to talk a little bit so i asked you to recommend a movie and like one that you find particularly inspirational in some way or, or or influential and you said immediately you said american mary which i had already seen but um it had been a while um i forgot how fucked up that movie is oh, um, yeah. but it's, it's also like oddly hilarious it's too. very and it, i think it, it does a very good job yeah, it's got it's got some real black comedy to it, and I think I can kind of see that influence a little bit in some of in in your work a little bit. There's a occasional clash of tones that brings in a little bit of comedy uh, on top of the right the darkness. So I guess talk a little bit about American Mary. What was you know uh, give us the setup for the movie, and then just what was it about that movie that you respond to? I think I can kind of guess knowing some of your background and stuff but sure um so yeah american mary is 
a movie that follows a medical student, mm-hmm. Mary, who's like a lot of students is poor, um, you know, trying to make ends meet, go to school, whatnot. And she ends up um, essentially getting drawn into this like body modification community and mm-hmm. is performing surgeries for people that otherwise would not be able to get these procedures from plastic surgeons or mm. or whatever um and an incident takes place with um mary and two of the um professors i guess teachers mm. at her school and she ends up dropping out of school and really kind of throwing herself into the body mod community but i think that she's also trying to like cope with what mm. happened to her right. um and uh, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, revenge that aspect that I very much enjoyed about that. Yeah, it definitely has it has that revenge uh, movie aspect, particularly with one of the professors. Yeah, uh, who I mean, I think we could just say you know she's sexually assaulted at a party. Right. Um, she's basically lured to this party where she's then assaulted, and the way she turns the table on one of the the kind of her main professor is is sort of the core of the movie in a lot of ways. And I think that's what I forgot yeah. is that, and um, I mean, I think a lot of people seen it, so I'll just go ahead and say it. Like, I don't want to totally spoil the movie, but like, she essentially abducts him and uses him as her guinea pig to like learn how to do this body modification stuff. And I had forgotten that aspect that it was like that she holds on to him. <laughs> Like she doesn't yeah. kill him right away, <laughs> and like I thought that was a really I don't know fun twist on the revenge. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, what was I mean? I'm assuming like you relate to the fact she's a medical student and whatnot. Um, I mean, how much? Uh, I mean, I'm a, you know, it's very clearly it's a very stylized movie, so it's I'm guessing right. it's not particularly realistic, but like. Was there anything that resonated with your experience in medical school? Um, it doesn't show a lot of like, I mean, it shows the class stuff. And then it, there's like one portion in the hospital where they're mm-hmm. like making their rounds. So I, yeah, that was a bit familiar. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, the thing that really got me. I took some notes. Let me check real quick. <laughs> so one thing I will say is, you know, I, I don't know exactly how far along she is in her education, but like mm-hmm. if you're doing your rotations and stuff, that's usually like third or fourth year. Okay. And I'm just saying from personal experience, I would not hire myself as a third or fourth year to be performing um, <laughs> like procedures like this. But I mean, maybe there's some surgeons out there that could have pulled it off. <laughs> but yeah. So eh, there's maybe a little bit of parallel, but I think that Mary's far more capable of a doctor than uh, I would have been at that point. <laughs> well, it's interesting, you know, the the whole body mod thing is I've, I find really interesting because I, it's not like a world I'm personally part of, but I have a lot of friends who are kind of part of that community. And I've dabbled mm-hmm. like one thing, I don't know. Do you see at one point the doctor, the professor that she's kind of abducted she's got him hanging from hooks through his back yeah um and i've actually done that that's called suspension and oh i've actually done that a couple times where you have the hooks through the back and you're suspended and it's a very uh interesting experience because um it's basically like putting your body into like a mild state of shock 
I think. So then you yeah. get this like rush of endorphins. And so it's like while you're hanging there, you actually it doesn't hurt that much. At least for me, I didn't hurt that much. Um, but then when you get down and they pull the hooks out, it's just this like almost like flood of endorphins. It's like I know for some people it's a very like erotic experience. It wasn't that for me. It was just more of this kind of physical release kind of thing yeah but so I'm, I'm fascinated by the attraction people have to body modification and you know i know people who've done the tongue splitting and all that so seeing it mm-hmm. like the way it was portrayed in the movie is interesting because i felt like the suska sisters who directed it were very careful to like not be judgmental towards that aspect you know the, yeah. there's no sense of like treating it like a freak show which i think a lot of uh, filmmakers would do is like oh, look at all these freaky people doing all these crazy surgeries and stuff yeah like they don't they don't ever really slip into that even the characters of beatrice who's the gone through the um surgeries to look like betty boop and then yeah. um who's the other what's her name the one who's, um ruby ruby yeah um who's basically wanting surgery to turn her into like just a sexless doll basically like i felt like they were like i understood them as people not just as like freaky weirdos doing you know crazy like a novelty yeah yeah they felt like they were given a little bit more dignity than that which i really appreciate again knowing people who are kind of not that maybe as extreme as that, but I know people who are part of that kind of community. Um, and like, I know how they're treated, you know, and I, I have friends who are like covered in tattoos and like face tattoos and stuff um, and how they're mm-hmm. kind of treated when they go like to the grocery store or whatever, you know, just, yeah. so I like that the movie didn't slip into that. I agree with that. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of embracing like what makes you feel happy with yourself and mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah, as long as it's not hurting somebody else, right? Yeah. And and the the violence is uh, in the movie is yeah, it's it's not about the surgeries that she's performing. Yeah. It's about what was done to her and the what she does and retribution, you know, and kind of the spiraling of you know sort of the reaction, you know, you know something's done to her, her reaction to it, and then the reaction to that, and kind of you know the building on that. But it's never about the actual body mod part. No, yeah. It's just interesting, too, because it's, I, I, I love that, that she was practicing the surgeries on, on that guy to get it mm-hmm. right for these people. You know, she, she almost felt, like, obligated to perfect her craft for her yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I like that works as a revenge story, but also she's, yeah, she's, like, using him as, uh, you know, like, she talks about early on, she's practicing her suture, sutures on a turkey carcass. And it's like almost like yeah. the same thing, you know? Exactly. Just yeah, a little like, bit, uh, you know, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. When, like, what was your reaction? Well, just when you first saw that movie, was it, um, did you immediately like respond to it? Because I know some people who've uh, watched that movie and were really turned off by it the first time and then watched it again and kind of fell in love with it. No, I, I loved it initially. Yeah, first time watching it because what's what's her name? Catherine Isbell? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or, yeah, I mean she's fantastic. Anyway, um, like I loved her in, in Ginger Snap. Yeah, so she perfectly plays the character of Mary. So mm-hmm. I think that she's very engaging. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, me being a doctor, I enjoyed the medical school surgical aspect. Mm-hmm. And then me being the twisted person <laughs> I am slash woman that seeks retribution, I enjoyed the the third act quite a bit as well. You know. <laughs> 
So there was, it was like 10 out of 10 for me, really. Yeah. I mean, I can say, I think having read your stuff and then seeing that movie, I can definitely see it seems like it's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. With with that kind of combination of elements. And I do, I agree. Catherine Isabel, I loved her in, I mean, Ginger Snaps is one of my probably in my top 10 favorite movies. I love both her and Emily Perkins in that. Yeah. And, you know, Emily Perkins, she's, she pops up in other things here and there. But I hadn't, re- I I think I hadn't realized the first time I watched American Mary, I hadn't put it together that that was Catherine Isabel from Ginger Snaps. Because I was, I'm, when I watched it this morning, I was surprised. I was like, oh, wait, that's, that's her. From Ginger her yeah. I didn't realize that was her. So that was kind of cool. Well, I initially saw American Mary, uh, I don't know, maybe in like, 2016 or something and then mm. only like in the last couple of years that i seen ginger snap so then when i rewatched it i was like oh right yeah yeah i was really excited about it actually and um even the sequels to ginger snaps are pretty good um it, i haven't seen those yet i'll have to the, the third one's interesting i think it's the third one because it like goes back in time and it's like a like salem witch trial kind of but it, but it's also but it's got the two actors uh emily perkins and Catherine isabel playing kind of almost right. like similar characters like different but similar characters it's kind of an interesting take on it so all right well i uh don't want to keep it's been almost two hours thank you for <laughs> spending this much time i've been having fun <laughs> so tell what are you working on now like what's coming up next so currently i'm working on editing what i'm hoping is going to be my second novel that essentially follows a neurologist who's invented these migraine chips that mm. are you know supposed to alleviate migraines but uh she discovers that she can manipulate people with Ooh, them that's yeah so maybe that's... maybe a little more sci-fi i guess I was gonna say that's um, almost got a, like a techno thriller kind of feel to it. Yeah, I, I have. We'll see where it goes. I mean, I might get a bit gross with it or something, but we'll <laughs> see. And then, yeah. So obviously, the the broken heart comes out on September nineteenth, and then I have another like novella coming out on October fifth called "It's Me." Hi, I'm the zombie. It's me. Which is uh, <laughs> it's actually it, it got inspired by StokerCon because. Oh. Um, I mean, you know, there was the StokerCon people and then there right. was the Swifties. Yeah. Which no, it was like perfect. a, yeah, it's like that meme where it's like the, the goth girl and then the girl with like rainbow hair, you know? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, and my wife actually came up with the idea of, um, you know, what if they were forced to have to like work together? Uh-huh. And so they're at the hotel where StokerCon's taking place and there's a, a zombie outside and they have to work together to i'm really excited because having been there i it was so funny um i'm like the first day the swifties showed up and so and i think i mentioned it on here before i know i mentioned it on my other podcast but uh yeah we were at stoker con all the, us horror weirdos are there in the hotel and then there's a taylor swift concert going on at the same time so all of a sudden all these like teenage swifties show up and i think they were like initially kind of freaked out by us because a lot of the a lot of the circuit people look like me like big bearded dudes and horror slasher t-shirts you know like right yeah um but then it seemed like over time it was like the two groups kind of integrated in an interesting way yeah and uh, i know sarah tantlinger posted on twitter you know sarah who uh she was one of the chairs for stoker this year 
uh, kind of help put the convention on. She said, you know, the Swifties, you know, they showed up and they were like fascinated by all the like pride gear that the horror people had and then asked if we were all there for a Dracula concert. Um, and I was like, yeah. I just want to know what they think a Dracula concert is. I, I would go. I mean, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was out with um, Douglas Ford and Rebecca Rowland and uh, Doug Ford's wife and we were out uh, just at a bar uh, drinking and we ran into a Swifty. He was, she was a little older because she was in the bar. But she was like starstruck by the fact that we were a bunch of horror writers because she was a Swifty who like also was like a big horror fan. So it's just like such a yeah. weird, Venn, unexpected Venn diagram yeah. of people that oddly got along really well. <laughs> you wouldn't right, expect. Right, yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> yeah. I sold a couple of like advanced copies of The Broken Heart just in Swifties really yeah it was, <laughs> nice. yeah it was great that's cool yeah so so this so this novella it's like literally set at StokerCon with the swifty so it's like uh yeah that's yeah it's at that the, what is it the sheraton hotel right. yeah so it's, it's almost kind of like a initially like a locked room sort of situation yeah and so i try to make it kind of funny and and also you know yeah. I pick zombies because George Romero's from Pittsburgh. Of course, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh you got to be zombies, right? I mean, obviously. <laughs> so when does that going to come out? Uh, that's October 5th. Okay, I'm I'm excited for that one. And I will I will definitely post links uh, to The Broken Heart. And then whenever that's available, I'll post a link to that too. So Because that definitely sounds like something particularly all of us StokerCon people need to read. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, well, thank you so much for, for the taking the time to talk to me. So, And uh, I'd love to, like, down the road, if you're up for it, I'd love to have you back on at some point. Hell yeah. This is great. <laughs> I'm ha- I love chatting with poor folks. Like, it's literally <laughs> the best. Yeah. It's like, you get to geek out about the same stuff. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so this has been Horror from the High Desert. Um, I am your host, Scott Imelda, here with Jake Gallegos. And I will be back with you guys again in a couple weeks. <laughs>